So, okay, people say hacks in DeFi. Most hacks aren't really hacks. They're like, they're quote, people say, I think X was a better term. Basically, what people do is that they figure out a way with something in the code to make the protocol do something that was unintended, right? And that's because these protocols are so complicated. Like, they're like, not, I wouldn't say so, so complicated, but they're pretty complicated. And it's kind of impossible as a developer, if you're a small team, right? Because you may not have that much money, you're a startup. Um, to figure out every single attack or edge case that someone's going to go after this protocol with or for, right? It's just like kind of impossible. And so most protocols in the early stages, and frankly, or intent, like the intention is that in the early stages, they will have what's called like admin keys. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto, where we simplify big and complex ideas in Bitcoin, blockchain, Web3, and tech, while connecting you with entrepreneurs, builders, and leaders building at the edge of innovation. I am Vane, your host. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto. Today, we have Orlando, Orlando Cosme. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, been listening uh, for a bit, so very excited to uh, actually be able to be, be a guest. Yeah. So, Orlando, you you are probably one of the. Also, I always say this, but it's true. Like the first few guests that I've like had on have been the ones that I've connected with, and when I first started my journey. So it's really awesome to see the growth that has happened since the very beginning and where you are at. So I love to start with. What are you grateful for? I would say my my family, friends, and health first and foremost. I think you know, I think being in the, in the crypto space sometimes people. I think what what people are building is very important, but I think also we need to not lose sight of what's actually important, and those are our very close and intimate relationships and our health. Because um, you know, I think sometimes people get too much in the weeds, kind of lose track of their health, um, and so. Yeah, so those are the two things I'm grateful for. Knock on wood, uh, I'm generally healthy, and you know my my, my relationships with my friends and family. Mm, I love that, and I think it's like the simple things, always back to the basics. Um, but I agree yeah. with you. I think that since being in the space, I'm, I've definitely been way more on the internet, phone, and less touching yeah. grass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Go out, touch grass, get dinner with some people, hang out with friends, see your family. Uh, I am. A culprit of this of not you know calling my mom enough but call your mom oh, yeah. um you know all of that yeah 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 for sure so what's um the next question is i love to ask all the guests what's your superpower so that thing that you've been doing probably your whole life and um is really natural to you yeah i think so it's it's not like it's probably like a an unorthodox superpower I think, but I think one thing, and you know, I don't I don't really realize this until I think like later, much later in life. But I think one thing that I am very good at um, compared to other people is very quickly just picking up something that's completely mm. new, completely out of my element, and getting. Like, and usually I'm not the kind of person that like is I'm really good at everything I try in a first instant, instance. I'm actually not. Like I tend to not be so great. Um, but I'm pretty good at just picking something up, really figuring it out 
and learning how to improve mm. and learning how to get better. And I think a lot of people, whether it be for like, I think a lot of people maybe may know what to do to get better, but they don't actually do it. They don't actually like execute and like stick to a plan or disciplined enough to do it. And I think that's something just throughout life that has helped me a lot is um, kind of just picking something up and just like figuring out what are the things I need to do to get to that next level and actually doing it. Um, and that includes things like, you know, I was like, I liked sports as a kid, but like, wasn't that great when I entered high school. And by the time I graduated high school, I was like the captain of both my football and wrestling team. Mm. And then I, um, um, and, and like, was not that great in the beginning. Right? I kept just like improving myself. And then same thing kind of happened with like academics, um, job stuff. Um, right now, for example, on the side, um, so I'm half Dominican, half Puerto Rican, but for my whole entire life could not dance salsa like at all it was awful <laughs> picked up less started, started taking lessons like a little bit over a year ago um was, was the only person in my class is still doing it and i've like improved significantly so like just like in different aspects of life i mm. think i've just been able to pick things up starting a business getting to tech etc being a lawyer um and just learning how to get better at these things um and i think it's something that i didn't realize i think until later in life but it really is i think a pretty good skill and superpower because it kind of makes me very i think adaptable to things um, and being able to pick things up, like, and now I feel like I've had such a large breadth of different experiences that I can kind of make a lot of connections, kind of thoughts, et cetera. But like, basically, and I guess like, so, to summarize it more succinctly, um, knowing how to improve. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it's a superpower. I mean, I have to say, this is like an incredible superpower to have because you said it really well where most people know what they need to do to get better, but they don't do it. Right. And yeah. it's like the execution of it is the consistency. And I think I, I might, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I've heard this say where it's like top athletes. Some, some of the best are not necessarily the ones born with talent, but it's just like a little bit of talent and then a whole lot of consistency and commitment and practice and reiterating. So it kind of just reminded me of that. And that's really powerful because especially where we are at with, so many new things coming at us being able to dive in and stay the course is pretty powerful so that's awesome <laughs> if, if you don't mind me asking and flipping the script a bit what, what would you say is your superpower Ooh, my superpower um i i think somewhat similar i would say like i just do it um i've always been able to execute things um, really well if i want to do something i don't hesitate like i go all in so um yeah if i want to do something i don't overthink it i just dive right on in and i think i've always done that from a really young age and yeah so i think that would be my superpower just i'm gonna yes. steal the nikes <laughs> Let's do it. yeah that's a, that's, a, that's a good one because people a lot of people don't so that's good yeah um okay well i i know you are well you've had like everyone in crypto has other life experiences, um, startup VC, a lawyer attorney. And then right now you are, um, is it a founder? Yeah, founder for LexProof. But tell us a little bit about how you got into crypto and what drew you in. Yeah, I, so I think the first time I heard of crypto um, was because I was in college and people were buying drugs on Silk Road uh, with Bitcoin. Um, and I actually remember I did read, I, I remember reading the Bitcoin white paper during that time. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Um, like I, I just didn't really put my, much thought into it. Cause I was like, okay, like, so cool. This like, it's like basically like internet, some kind of internet money that you can then use to do illegal stuff online. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. It's like, you just, I just, the whole like 
conception, the whole idea of, you know, I think what crypto ended up becoming, um, and even Bitcoin itself ended up becoming, I just, just, I didn't even have like the imagination for that yeah. um, at that time, just because I, again, that was kind of like the first time I ever saw crypto. Um, fast forward to 2017, so this is the ICO boom. Mm. Um, I was in law school and actually one of my roommates uh, who I love him, but he's not exactly like the smartest person. He's, he's kind, of like, kind of an idiot. Um, <laughs> and I mean that in a very endearing way, but like not someone who I'd be like, oh, like they put in a thoughtful, rigorous analysis yeah. into, what, into what they were like investing in, right? Um, he really got into the ICO boom. Mm. And I remember talking to him about it and we were going back and forth. And, you know, he he was basically just gambling, right? Um, there was like no rhyme or reason. So I kind of, I kind of like looked it back into crypto again, again, because like it just started getting hot again. Um, and again, there was really nothing there. It was kind of like vaporware. Um, I was just like, okay, it seems like people just, you know, gambling money. Um, and then get back to 2020, now DeFi summer. Yeah. Um, I now start seeing people who I... I would say really respect um, kind of talking about crypto more and getting into it. I just, I just kind of like noticed it in the air, right? Like yeah. there was like this increased tick in interest. Uh, so I kind of go back, kind of like research again. And this time there, there are actually, there's actually like stuff going on, right? Um, I see DeFi and I start being very, I start getting very interested. Um, and then I think the thing for me that really just kind of like, you know, um, like light bulb just kind mm-hmm. of like blew my m- mind away it was actually helium. Um, if you're not familiar with helium or if anyone's not familiar with helium, it's basically, um, kind of this like internet, this wireless internet network, uh, for kind of like internet of things. So think like devices that don't really require that much like bandwidth, mm-hmm. but, um, you can think maybe like a thermostat or something that's working on, on the internet, something like that, right? Like yeah. things that don't require much bandwidth. Um, and basically they were creating or are, I guess, although they're not doing as hot anymore, but they're basically creating this kind of distributed network where literally, um, instead of like being beholden to a wireless company for your network, um, individuals would just buy these like routers, hook them up at home, um, and basically mine and basically would provide Wi-Fi in exchange for like the helium token. So these people are getting paid, you know, just for like setting up this like router thing at their home. Um, and that project, I think just really blew the lid off of, um, what I thought was possible. Mm. Um, cause like I saw the, cause again, with DeFi, I saw the finance aspect of it. And I thought it was very interested, interesting. And so I kind of kept digging. Um, but that like the idea of like, you know, you can apply this concept of, you know, a user owned network to a wireless network. That was like my jaw dropping, like, Oh wow, this is going to change the world. Mm. Like it's actually revolutionary. Um, and so it took me into looking to helium, I think to really get it. And since then, I would say I've been like just down the rabbit hole ever since. Yeah. I mean, I want to highlight something that I hear a lot of people that are coming in or after interviewing a few is that they've heard about this before and there was a sketchy stuff about it. And then like slowly, but surely you're like something then like catches fire and then like you're all in. And I think it's really important to highlight that for anybody that's still kind of new or not really sure. Cause everyone at some point thought this was sketchy and there are sketchy things. So it's like, 
let's totally. let's like that's let's all agree on that but there's a lot of great and a lot of good and definitely this is the future um last year you one thing is like being involved in it or you know participating engaging another thing is going all in with work you took this yeah. leap of faith last year what was your yeah. thought process behind this and why did you do it yeah um to be honest <laughs> it wasn't that difficult for me okay. um for several reasons number one um i had decided um probably about uh maybe like a year and a half or so before then um that i was gonna like start my own company mm. um and do my own thing and i wasn't i wasn't quite ready yet though at the time and i wasn't quite sure what it would be like i actually didn't think it would potentially be like a, a tech start maybe like maybe it might be maybe not um because there are you know other types of businesses like the different types of bootstrap businesses more cash flow related businesses um than like you know a venture scalable billion dollar startup um but um i knew then that i was gonna do my own thing um but a year and a half. So I've been kind of, I was kind of like mm. had my antenna out, um, for kind of preparing myself. Um, and don't get me wrong. I was not like, I wasn't, when I did kind of take the leap and take, or take the plunge, I wasn't planning on doing it necessarily right then. Like if you had asked me three months before, I'd have been like, no, 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 no. It's like not ready. I would say like, probably like a year or two more years. Yeah. Um, but, um, I had already decided that like, I was going to eventually like go out and take a swing. And the reason for that was, um, so just kind of getting to my like life career, or I guess a career journey. So, um, uh, went to Penn from the University of Pennsylvania, uh, first out of college as a trader. So I was an interest rate trader mm -hmm. at Citigroup. Um, so I was trading like inflation linked government bonds and inflation linked derivatives. Um, decided I was going to go to law school, um, had a year to kill, worked at like WeWork before they explode, imploded doing, um, business development and expansion. Uh, went to law school and then uh, worked at a firm called Sidley Austin in Chicago. Their claim to fame is where Barack and Michelle Obama met each other. I'm saying all this because to drive home the point that I've had a pretty diverse career. Yeah. Um, and I've worked at like, quote, like places that are considered like really good or whatever, prestigious or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say. And um, about a year into working at that firm in big law, um, I remember, I, I think I took like Labor Day off, right? And it was actually the first day. Um, in a year that I um, actually build no hours, right? Like it was like my actual only like first day off. Um, and that day, I remember specifically, right? It was this day because I, I remember because like it like allowed me to kind of just like take some separation out yeah. and like just reevaluate my life in that like one day that I wasn't working. Um, and I was just like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, I was just like, you know, well, a few things. Number one, um, you know, being a big law like partner, like eventually, you know, the path is that you eventually become a partner. And throughout that time, I had worked with many partners, working directly with many partners. And you know, you think like, oh, you make it to the promised land, you're gonna be this partner, but you're still in this like massive organization. Yeah. And your life doesn't get better, actually, um, especially at the junior partner level. I think they're the worst. It's the worst job at a big law firm, I think. Not even the junior people, because they're they're still trying to prove themselves, mm. um, and they have to take ownership over everything. So they're like their entire lives are basically um, work. So forget about being like a good parent, being a good partner, um, and that, that's like your life. And because it's like legal, like practicing law, right? It's like you're doing all this to kind of go back and forth on like a comp in a brief, in a legal brief, right? That like, like you know, lawyers have to be 
perfect, right? There's a reason for it. Like, I get it, right? Yeah. But it's just like, is this what I want to do in my life? Like, you know, basically, um, not spend time with my kids on a Saturday at like three, you know, afternoon because I'm going back and forth with this associate um, over a con- like the placement of this comma. Yeah. Um, no. Um, but even related to like the other experiences I had, right? Like being a trader or whatever, um, there's still a lot of that, right? And, you know, I'm not shy of, uh, I'm not a person who like, doesn't work hard, right? Like, I've, again, that was like the first day of the year I didn't work. Yeah. But I was just like, you know what? I'm working so hard. I bet that in 10 years, which is like the path it takes to make a partner roughly, I can just go out, take swings. Um, you know, I can take a swing, fail, take a swing, fail, take a swing, fail, probably take three or four swings during that time. And all I need to do is be successful once. And I would be wildly more successful than had I like wait and be a partner, probably make way more money, have my autonomy and enjoy my life way more if I just bet on myself. And so that's kind of the conclusion I came to. And I was like, from that day on, I was like, I'm going to bet on myself. Don't know exactly when, um, but it's going to happen. So I had my antenna out basically. Yeah. And then um, that's kind of just the background of, and then I was like, pretty involved in the SACS community. Um, we saw this, me and my co-founder saw this opening um, for DAOs. There's a little more into how we met and stuff, but like basically we saw this opening for like DAO infrastructure. And so we were just like, you know what? Let's just like take the plunge and let's do it. And I was kind of mentally already prepared. Yeah. Um, again, wasn't, was faster than I would have probably liked or was in my initial plan or more soon, but um, I was like ready to go. And like, <laughs> I, I ended up pivoting to another law firm, worked at another law firm. Um, but that whole time I was just like counting the days until I'm like out of there and ready to go and start my own thing. So it wasn't that hard for me to like take the plunge. Yeah. I mean, I think that if anybody else is listening to this, they will relate and they'll feel inspired because especially, I mean, my boyfriend's an attorney too, and I know how hard it is to get to being an attorney and being able to shift or pivot out of that is, I think is an identity also like shift that you have to do. But there's a lot of good things coming out of it. I just, even anyone that wants to just change to a different vocation, I don't think it's as easy as it is. And even the process that you walked us through, it's like, it takes sometimes, it takes years maybe where you know this is something that you want to do, but you don't know exactly the timing. And perhaps the timing, you always say like, it's going to be a little further out. But you, don't, you don't just do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. just do it. Yeah. But the yeah. plans, the funny thing is like plans never go as planned. They just are there to help you. Um, but I don't know. This is really interesting and exciting to hear how you just pivoted yeah. into what. Yeah. I, I, I basically just like needed that slight little push. Yeah. And I got in that slight little push. Yeah. And I was just like, that's all I need. Let's go. You know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess moving now, I wanted one of the topics I wanted to discuss with you was to break down a little bit of what's going on with the SEC, regulatory, all of these things, because I think, well, one, anyone like the community that's listening in is, I feel like it's always placed like a lot of crypto natives too, and they love to hear from you, but also very newbies where they don't, they hear all of these headlines, they don't really know what's going on. And I love to explore a little bit about that, which then leads to um, next proof, which I want to chat about because I've been diving into zero knowledge, but it's not, it's, it kind of goes beyond <laughs> what I can sometimes comprehend. So, yeah. Um, so let's let's dive into that. Before we do, though, I'd love to kind of like level set with DeFi. 
what is, if you can just give a little brief of what is DeFi and where is that industry right now or where is that space right now? You said DeFi, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So DeFi or decentralized finance is, so, I mean, you know, there's no like official term for DeFi, obviously, but most people, when you're talking about DeFi, what they're talking about is financial applications, um, or I guess like, I don't want to say services, but basically financial services that are run on um, decentralized permissionlessness, oh, sorry, permissionless uh, blockchains. Mm-hmm. And so what this means usually is that you have some kind of smart contract protocol, which basically just means um, just like some kind of algorithm, right? Um, that is basically um, providing the financial service. And so, okay, that was really abstract, but the idea being if I want to go and let's say trade one token for another token, um, instead of going to like some centralized intermediary or some kind of centralized exchange, I can go to what's called a centralized exchange or DEX, um, which is actually just a protocol, an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I like send a bunch of some code that says, hey, I want to like sell my token and buy this other token, um, the algorithm will just execute that. Um, and there's no like person in the middle, it's just code. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where like the central the centralized finance comes from basically the lack of inter- financial intermediation because the current financial system is basically completely built on and basically really premised on the idea of intermediation, which gets, you know, a little bit to maybe like uh, getting a little ahead of myself, but basically gets a lot of the legal issues yeah. that come up in crypto because they're premised on centralized intermediation, intermediation because that's how it's always been. Um, and so the laws kind of deputize those intermediaries um, for, you know, like basically for compliance purposes. Um, and so that's kind of where the conflict comes in, at least legally. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, that's what decentralized finance is, basically cutting the middleman out. And the idea being that it gives more sovereignty to the individual users, uh, makes things cheaper, right? You don't have to deal with like a bank in the middle, yeah. kind of taking taking their cut, um, really just providing everything kind of back to the users um, and cutting the, mid- the middle end out. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is really great. And I'm excited for like where we're heading to. So I want to, I want to just dive in. You actually created this really awesome fire thread on Twitter, highlighting the aspects and your takes too on what the U S treasury um, published regarding DeFi and which by the way, I saw it also being featured on milk roads newsletter. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, hey, I know him. I was reading that thread. Um, yeah. So, quick, 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 quick aside, actually, my co-founder um, is like best friends with one of the initial co-founders on oh, the yeah. road. Oh, I, um, I eat that. But up. he's actually he's not he's not even there anymore. So actually, like, it's funny that um, they still pick it up. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I guess I'd love for you because you opened basically the thread saying that this is perhaps you know, the most pessimistic you've been regarding DeFi in... Yeah, in yeah. Or so permission... Per, permissionless. Yeah. Permissionless DeFi. Yeah. yeah. As you know, as, as a lawyer, I'm like a little very, I'm very careful with words. <laughs> Hold up. So like very, very intentional. No, no, yeah. So please tell us a little bit about like what this is about or like an overview so people can understand. Yeah, so um, I forgot the exact time, maybe like a little over a year ago. Um the White House, right, the, the Biden administration, um, basically had um, issued an executive order. Um, basically, and basically, the whole idea of the executive order was to coordinate um, 
a bunch of different government agencies because there are a ton of different government agencies doing a lot of different things. Yep. And crypto kind of touches upon a lot of different aspects, right? It's really like, a, you know, people think of like, when you think of crypto, they think of like, just like tokens and stuff, but really it touches, it touches like a broad aspect of things, right? Like really, like what does the internet touch? Well, crypto basically touches the same thing, yeah. the same, the same stuff. And so basically trying to coordinate with a bunch of agencies, a lot of times they don't talk to each other. Um, so basically mandating them to coordinate, to co- like, A, to look at crypto and come up with different reports after their analysis of crypto. So pursuant to this, um, this order, um, the U.S. Treasury released what they call their risk assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's specific things that like each agency had to do. So one of them was um, a risk- the Treasury Department was tasked, or one of the things that the Treasury Department was tasked with doing was um, issuing a risk assessment. Um, of crypto mm-hmm. with respect to things like um, and treasury um, in terms of enforcement um, is kind of um, deputized or in charge of carrying out enforcement of um, the the um, anti money laundering laws, um, aka like KYC, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, some counter terrorism financing laws, um, and they're kind of related. Um, but those, and they fall under the bucket. They they basically um, part of this statute called the Bank Secrecy Act, so the B, or the BSA. So if you ever heard someone say the BSA, um, AML, AML is anti money laundering. CFT, CFT is counter fi- countering the financing of terrorism. Yeah. Um, that's kind of all in the same bucket, and that's all enforced by the United States Treasury. Um, taking a step back, also, um, you know, as a founder or as anyone, right, like kind of like what I know about the law, like laws enforcement. Um, as a lawyer, I first initially was a litigator doing securities litigation, government enforcement work. So basically represented a lot of large companies when they allegedly did something bad and either the government came knocking or shareholder sued. Um, I, I ended up doing startup and VC work, corporate work as well, but I was initially a litigator mm. and had worked with government agencies before. And like, you know, in terms of just like your own risk assessment, um, everyone kind of freaks out about the SEC um, but I would be significantly more concerned about pissing off treasury, um, because the treasury, like those laws are act- actually have some criminal potential. Mm. Um, if you violate some of those laws, the DOJ can come after you, the Department of Justice, DOJ, um, in a criminal suit. Um, if there's intention, if they find evidence that you intentionally like violated these laws, um, um, so, so a good example of this is Binance. So Binance, and the, they had a CFTC complaint, CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. Yep. Um, they basically came after Binance, and in it, they mentioned that Binance basically helped a bunch of people evade um, KYC AML laws, aka these laws that I'm talking about. Yeah. And CFTC, is a, that's a civil complaint. That's just them suing you, and they're in charge of like commodities and derivatives. But when you read that complaint... What I see is, oh, this is there's evidence of criminal because like they helped clients evade these laws. That's criminal risk, mm-hmm. and I would expect that the Department of Justice, based, I'm sure they're like about to come out with some kind of criminal lawsuit against Binance um, for that reason. So, taking a step back, I am significantly, I would be more significantly more concerned about violating these, you know, anti money laundering laws over any sort of securities laws by the SEC or any sort of commodity or derivatives laws yeah. from um, from the CFTC. Uh, because of the criminal aspect of it, like, yeah. like, like it's one thing to just like lose your job, your company goes down, you owe a bunch of money. It's another thing, like, to to risk your your liberty. Um, and so, with that backdrop, um, the Treasury came out with this risk assessment, and basically, what they said was, um, you know, 
and their framing of it, right? So they kind of mention this at the end, it's kind of sneaked in there, but they do acknowledge that if you have a completely permissionless um, protocol, yeah, right, or, or, you know, some kind of actual DeFi, right? Um, yeah, the laws may not apply to you, or it might be difficult for the laws to apply, or they may not apply, because you kind of need someone to be able to, to, to fulfill those obligations, right? Yeah. Like you need someone to be able to KYC and stuff like that. So if you just have this, like, if someone just pushed out this code, um, you know, it's out there in the ether on the internet and like people just interact with it, right? Like when yeah. you interact with it, when you send a smart contract um, transaction, you're just like broadcasting a message, right? Yeah. So you're just broadcasting a message with this protocol. Like there's not anyone kind of in the middle there who can then um, um, in, like enact these like policies and procedures and these checks, um, like KYC checks and things like that um, and fulfill these like a- these AML obligations, mm. right? But again, they, there's a re- the reason why they kind of just sneak that in there and only to focus on it is that they come out swinging, basically saying that most of DeFi is kind of bullshit and it's not, they're not, it's not actually decentralized, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of true. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, people, people, people like to say that like DeFi is like not like, just like real, real talk here. Um, you know, I know a lot of founders. I know how these projects work. Uh, I also on the legal side, like I just know, how all these products are actually set up, right? The way that most DeFi products work, and actually this is any crypto protocol, right? Um, they're, users, they're usually very centralized in the beginning. Yeah. Right. And the reason for this is because number one, like you just need, you're building stuff. You need to kind of iterate quickly. It's like, like any other startup, right? You need to be able to experiment, fail, experiment, fail, iterate, 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 and finally you hit, right? Yeah. Um, so you need to be able to move quickly. You need to be able to marshal resources quickly. Okay, that's all true. Also, you know, it's impossible. So, so smart contracts are, um, they can be immutable, right? And if you have true DeFi, then they're immutable. No one can really like mess with that code. No one can change it, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, because no one can mess with the code, um, if you have like a pretty complicated like DeFi protocol, it's kind of impossible to know. Um, so, okay, people say hacks in DeFi. Most hacks aren't really hacks. They're like, they're called, people say, I think X was a better term. Basically, what people do is that they figure out a way with something in the code mm-hmm. to make the protocol do something that was unintended. Oh. Right. And that's because these protocols are so complicated. Like, they're like, not, I wouldn't say so, so, but they're pretty complicated. Yeah. And it's kind of impossible as a developer, especially if you're a small team, right? Because you may not have that much money in your startup. Um, to figure out every single attack or edge case that someone's going to go after this protocol with yeah, or for, right? It's just like kind of impossible. And so most protocols in the early stages and frankly, or intent, like the intention is that in the early stages, they will have what's called like admin keys. And so actually the early team can kind of change things in the protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually like a multi-sig, right? Maybe it's like a three or five, five yep. or seven, whatever multi-sig so you need like three out of five there are like five signers on the multi-sig three need to sign to make the change or maybe like five out of seven or whatever mm-hmm. it is right and they can make pretty large changes right um the fact of the matter is very few protocols so most people say that they start off that way and they're going to actually like decentralize progressively decentralize and then like you know burn the admin keys or whatever yeah. right the fact of the matter is in the year of our lord 2023 most protocols haven't done that. Yeah. Um, you know, so most protocol, and, and I think for good reason, as a founder, I'm like, yes, and that makes sense. I, if, I take, if I take out the legal risk side of things, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you're like, 
you don't want like hundreds of millions of dollars or like of, of like users funds being jeopardized or, or like lost or something, right? That's like, of course not. Right. Yeah. You want to be um, able and do like damage control if something were to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have certain safeguards in place. So maybe you like that multi-sig, you maybe have a diverse group of people. Maybe it's not just a company. Maybe you have like some like community representatives on the multi-sig, whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, et cetera. Um, and you do it this way so that like, if something happens, you have a full safe, right? Like you have some kind of like way out. Right. Um, the problem there is going back to intermediaries. The way that the law looks at the intermediaries is um, basically if you are someone who is going to take custody or control of user funds, right? Mm-hmm. You now have these AML obligations. You're you're what's called a money transmitter, and if you're a money transmitter, um, you have to register. You have to get a license in all fifty states. Register with FinCEN, which is the financial um, network crime enforcement i forgot the exact acronym but like they're like a division of the treasury um and which costs a lot of money it's like something like it could be like seven hundred thousand dollars minimum to do um yeah it's yeah so if you want to custody any funds um ever as a company or something on behalf of other people you have to become a money transmitter and if you're a money transmitter all of these um kyc obligations apply okay so now if there's a multi-sig with like four, three, five, whatever, right? Like, so three people can now basically control, right? User funds. Cause you can c- control the whole protocol or like yeah. upgrade the protocol or move things around. It kind of looks like you have custody and control of user funds ultimately. Mm. Right. So we say non-custodial, but actually, you know, it's not, it's actually kind of custodial, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the, the dirty secret of, of DeFi, um, you know, in practical, like pra- in practical terms, right. Is that, it's true. And the government, because I think they've been subpo- they have subpoenaed a lot of these projects and have been investigating them, they clearly know this, right? <laughs> and I would say most people in the space who aren't builders don't actually know this. Um, they actually think the protocols are way more like not custodial, there's like way less control, but actually like the founding teams in most DeFi protocols, they have control. Yeah. So, and they can do things. And they technically, you know, you get the two or three people, you can move customer funds. And so the, their argument, the treasury's argument is basically like, well, even if you're like, it's not three people from the same company. It doesn't really matter, right? The law kind of mm. um, recognizes what are called general partnerships or unincorporated associations. Like just because me, you, and, you know, I don't know, John from across the street decided to do something together, basically like in a business purpose, but don't form like an actual entity. That doesn't mean that like, okay, the government can't come up after us or anything, yeah. right? Like you, you will have an entity or you will have an organization applied by law because okay. you're doing things that like businesses do. So that multi-sig looks a lot like an unincorporated association or a general partnership. Um, and you know, it's true. Like, it's like, I read that. I'm like, they yeah, got us. <laughs> close here. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. And it's like most projects. And so that means that they have to, uh, like, they have a duty technically to apply these obligations. Right. And if they don't, and they know they don't, right? So if you, if you, there's strict liability for international civil enforcement. So even if you don't realize you have to comply with these laws or you don't realize that like, oh, mm-hmm. just because I'm a multi-sig, I now have these obligations, then you can get hit with like some civil fines. But if you know that like, you know, um, you may have some of these obligations and you don't do anything about it, um, you may have criminal risk. Yeah. And so... It looks like to me 
and, and also the, sorry, the big takeaway of the whole assessment of the whole report was basically, um, we are, we should increase enforcement, which means they're going to come, which I take to basically means we're going to come after people. Yeah. Um, and so it looked to me like a big warning shot and basically them saying, we are going to come after people for this. Um, and we're laying out exactly our argument why as a warning. Um, and so I think kind of most of DeFi is at the cross is at the crosshairs here, which would mean that most products would have to kind of basically either not have that those upgradability aspects to it and be actually truly decentralized, which may not be a bad thing, or they're going to have to KYC every single user. Hence the permissionless mm. aspect of um, of, uh, of like my pessimism. Yeah. So okay. So parentheses. I mean, everything you said is just absolutely really interesting and. I guess, well, one of the things, KYC is know your customer. And I think for people to truly understand this, it's like, what is the whole point of DeFi, right? Like, what is the point of this? And why is this now causing an issue? And then I'm curious to get to, like, to ask you, what do you see the future being here? now that this yeah. is coming down and if there are going to be like more people coming after these protocols or DeFi in general um what's the potential solution yeah so the reason why i, I think uh forcing into DeFi projects to kyc is it or okay i'll take a step back so the purpose of the kyc laws right is that um kind of going back to what i was saying in the beginning um yep. the government because again, these laws are made with like intermediaries in mind because that's how it's always been. Um, the government basically says, look, you know, there's a lot of money laundering going on, like people yeah. kind of doing illegal things, right? Or, or the idea is that, you know, if you want to stop like financial crimes from happening or even just like dr stuff, like crime generally that makes money, yeah, right? Yep. The way we stop this is to make it literally uneconomical. Right. To make it so that even if you were to do something and get a shit ton of money, right. That like, you can't like, you can't cash out your money. Right. Um, and so the idea being that if you can cut that, um, then there's no incentive for people to try to like commit these crimes to make this money. No incentive for fraud, no incentive uh, mm -hmm. for like hacking, you know, say stealing, like all that stuff. Right. And so, but you know, the financial system is very complex. Like how, how do you kind of keep track of this? Well, what the government does for a lot of these, basically for anything kind of finance related, um, is that because the entire traditional financial system is built on intermediaries, you're like, okay, well, these intermediaries tend to be pretty big, right? Mm -hmm. We are actually going to deputize them and make them basically like enforce the laws for us. Right. And so they're going to be in charge of enforcing the law and making sure that like, no dirty money is being used by their services. Yeah. Um, and then I mentioned the counter financial terrorism after 9 11. There are a bunch of laws passed related to terrorism, right? Mm -hmm. um, also, the US economic sanctions. So, if they, you know, if the US issues sanctions, then JP Morgan's processing a bunch of payments, letting bank transfers happening between sanctioned people. It kind of defeats the purpose of the sanction, right? So, they basically deputize financial intermediaries with following, um, with basically like clamping, like, like basically enforcing the laws for them, right? And so I think, you know, it's a good intent, right? But I mean, there are issues with this. Number one being that um, it's like, it's implemented in a very bad way. So there are a lot of people who, um, a lot of times, it's not just a lot of people, they just get like debanked for no reason. And yeah. then it's like, oh, sorry. 
you know, um, and you just like yeah. can't have access to your bank account. And it's like, how do you pay the bills? How do you live? Right. Like well, access, to your, access to your bank account. So that's number one. Number two is a lot of times these laws are used for political as a political weapon, mm. right? So, which is happening now with crypto, with like Operation Choke Point 2.0, basically yeah. they're trying to like debank a bunch of um, crypto companies. That basically, you know, it could be that you're doing something um, that one day, you know, could be very favorable politically, and then the next day, new people come in and it's not yeah. anymore. And then they one people one way that they get to to, to 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 like you know that sector is by cutting off access to the financial system. Um, be, through the intermediaries, because because everything's controlled by the intermediaries, if they don't provide you access, you're kind of screwed, right? Um, and so that's like what. So those are some of the problems um, with like implementing KYC. Um, the other issue, uh, the, the third thing, is that it stifles innovation. Yeah. So most of these DeFi companies are up, you know, they're like young startups. Like I'm a founder of a startup. There's, I, 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 I would not be able to register as a money transfer. I don't, I don't have the money for that, right? Like, it's just a lot of, and like a lot of investors, they don't want to necessarily invest in a startup if like they, like the first million dollars have to go into like regulatory and legal fees. Yeah. Like, cause like, it's, it's just like, you need that money to like build their product, right? We need to, and yeah, so, we need to make sure that it's good to go to, like go to market kind of sense and not. Yeah. 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 And so like. So then the other thing is that it also concentrates power, right? Because no one can afford all these, like, like the compliance for all this. And the fourth thing is that it stifles permissionlessness. So one of the other th- good things about DeFi is that because everything's open, using open source code, anyone can build on it. And because it's permissionless, anyone can kind of just, like, interact with it, like, build on top of it. Yeah. And it kind of leads to a Cambrian explosion of ideas because you can just test anything out, right? If you now gate it this way where only people who can afford, you know, like a million dollars, right. And like legal and compliance fees, um, you're going to have very little innovation yeah. right on top. Um, and so those are kind of the issues. And one of the great things about DeFi is that it allows you to kind of just do what you want to do very quickly. And in my opinion, right. At the end of the day, everyone can kind of cash or every, like anyone at the end of the day kind of needs cash. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think my personal view is that all the KYC stuff should be at the centralized exchanges because that's or, or the fiat, what I call the fiat on and off ramps, right? Yep. When you trade crypto for fiat, because everyone has to hit those gate gates at some point, right? And so, and, and that's already ha- that happens now, right? For me to go on Coinbase right now, I need to KYC. Yep. So I think that's where the point should be, right? Mm-hmm. And everything internal inside of DeFi should be completely free to go. And then as soon as you want to hit the gates into the real world, into the fiat world, um, then that's when you have to hit those like the KYC roadblockers. In my opinion, that will kind of su- still support the government's mission of like you know preventing money laundering, financing for terrorism, financing against like you know um, state enemies, whatever, while still allowing for the kind of innovation and permissionlessness um, of DeFi. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just like absolutely. Thank you for this in depth and like sharing with us because I. I I agree with you. I think people that are non-technical or not developers or not really know much, we we don't really understand fully and having it be presented in very simple terms and like in this way, it's you are able to see a different picture. So I guess like very naive, but maybe what like do you, this is new technology, just like we're seeing AI and all of these things. Like doesn't kind of like law regulations need to change to that? But again, of course, that's never, I mean, it seems like it will never happen. What, like, 
what can we do? Like, what can DeFi companies do now? Or what's like the next thing? I, I also saw that you posted on SEC. I mean, the SEC um, put out another rule change as well. So what does this even mean? Yeah, that one is also not great. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of like a double, it's kind of a double whammy, uh, actually. Um, so, so, okay. So the SEC, or not just SEC, any government agency, um, whenever they, so the way kind of government agencies work, again, just trying to like take a step back in case like people don't really know, you know, not everyone listening to this may have like a really good understanding of this process, but basically, um, you know, Congress obviously makes laws, the executive enforces laws, but there's kind of this like, and then the judiciary interprets laws, but there's almost like this fourth branch of government and it's called the administrative state. Mm. Um, and that's, those are the government agencies that are kind of quasi judicial, quasi legislative and quasi executive. Um, and so basically how the way they work is that Congress passes some kind of law, right. Um, that then kind of provides certain powers to the agencies. And because Congress knows that like, you know, we don't know in depth securities laws well, or like how like exchanges should be set up. We're going to provide in those laws, a lot of discretion to the SEC, um, to kind of come up with what are called rules to, um, to um, like work with this because there's, because they're going to be filled with subject matter experts and they're going to be spending their whole time on this area. And so they will know significantly better than us. Plus they'll be able to adapt much quicker than like passing laws in Congress. Yeah. Right. So that's how agencies work. That's you see SEC is in charge of um, dealing with like securities and um, certain derivatives as well as um, um, exchanges for like the interactions, uh, the exchange of securities, as well as like some other things like investment advisors mm-hmm. and things like that. And so um, there's a process called um, that all agencies have to follow um, when they're passing laws, including um, uh, or when they're when they're in that, when they're proposing rules, I'm going to pass a rule. Um, it's called the notice and comment period. And so when they first are like going to pass a rule, they have to be like, okay, here's our rule. Um, yeah. And they give like, I think like a certain time period where the public is supposed to comment on it and they're supposed to address all the concerns. Yeah. Right. And then they enact it. But like you, it can be the most heavily criticized rule, proposed rule in the world and it can still enact it anyway. Um, <laughs> but they just have to address Put it, out, it, it because, yeah. yeah, they just have to address it. And then the idea being that like, if there's not like any reasonable basis, but that's like pretty easy to, to get through, then you can sue and challenge that rule. So that's what they just did now with this rule um, related to what's called communications protocols for exchanges. Um, they just, they just re well, they had closed it before, but they just like reopened the notice and comment period. Um, and so that means they're going to, they're going to try to pass, enact this rule. Mm-hmm. But, and like, and so they've reopened this notice and comment period. And um, basically what this rule does is it basically says any sort of communications protocol um, that facilitates um, basically the exchange of the exchange of securities um, will count like will be considered a securities exchange. Um, nobody in their right mind. Like if you think registering as a money transmitter is bad, registering as a securities exchange is like like millions of dollars just to get the initial kind of registration in, and then like probably like a million plus dollars. Or I don't know, like a lot of probably close to that every year for ongoing compliance, right? You don't see a lot of securities exchanges popping up for a reason. Um, and so that would mean, so what, what, what's communications protocol? And so in the rule, um, they very, uh, um, 
and some of the comments, that's some of their comments to the rule, they very squarely are like addressing DeFi and basically saying like any protocol that um, facilitates a securities exchange um, basically like is a, has to serve as an exchange. And then there are very broad terms. So even if you were to have like a very broad um, or a very permissionless um, protocol, that's actually decentralized, right? So not what we're talking about before with the admin keys, but really true DeFi, right? There's stuff in there that basically said, there's basically broad language in there that kind of suggests that Mm -hmm. even like a developer who may potentially deploy that protocol um, could potentially um, be like, slammed here for this because for assisting mm. this, this 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 communications protocol well um and obviously every startup right that the uh, defects are they're not just um like they're also like deploying the code they're also like marketing it um they're doing a lot of stuff for it right getting the community together and that's all kind of like facilitating this communications protocol right wow. um and that's they're, they're, they're pretty explicit about it. like yes that's exactly what this does um and so basically any sort of protocol that has any sort of exchange of security tokens would count. And frankly, um, the SEC would probably find that a lot, which they've said explicitly, um, that a lot of tokens are securities. And so it would really take down these defi- these decentralized exchanges. Um, yeah, it's like not great. That being said, I think there are a lot of potential like First Amendment challenges because like deploying code um, there's a lot of like first amendment protections there because it's speech. Um, mm. cause everyone thinks about this, but, um, you're just communicating, right? Like when you're like, when you're like doing a smart contract transaction, when you're like deploying a protocol, you're just sending a message. Yeah. Right. And sending a message is speech, right? <laughs> like I can, I can like write something down on paper and like mail or, or just like hold it up or hold a poster up. Right. Like that's the same thing you're doing. You're literally just like writing something down broadcasting it aka like basically just like writing something on a poster and taking it to the town square and holding it up and then someone sees the poster aka like the protocol and they do stuff yeah. with it from like your words right uh, from your message so that's kind of how like the internet works right that's how all this stuff works and so it is free speech and so there are free speech implications here um where it will absolutely like get challenged but it's still not a great it's just not a great um development yeah i mean i think hearing everything that's going on is just they're trying to really just put a lot of barriers in the moving forward in innovation in crypto. And um, I feel like that that's really, it's going to hurt. Um, but hopefully this breeds a lot of creativity and union. Um, yeah. And like community yeah. coming together and finding ways for, yeah. 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 My, my working theory is that I think it kind of see, I could be, there's no basis for this, but my, like, spec, my, like, my speculation is that they're trying to give the technology, I think, to TradFi. Mm. That's what it looks like. It looks like they're trying to, like, because like, there are traditional institutions that are very interested in the tech, yeah. but they don't like the speculation. They don't like, they don't have control, right? Yep. And so they're basically forcing control back to intermediaries. Who are the biggest intermediaries? Wall Street. Um, and so it's easy, any laws, any rules that get passed, it's very easy for them to like, um, comply with it. Right. Cause they already have most of it set up yep. and they have a lot of money. So it doesn't matter. Um, so it kind of looks to me like they're trying to give it, give DeFi away to TradFi. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not unfounded at all. Like <laughs> I can 
totally see how. Um, okay, I know we're, we extended our time, but I think this is going to be really exciting. Please talk to us about um, Let's Group and how this also is and what supports what we were talking about in, in today's conversation. Yeah, so Lex Proof my startup, startup, we're um, building Web3 native compliance infrastructure. The idea is to build um, products that uh, allow you to comply with flaws, but to do so in the most Web3 native way possible. So that, um, you know, for our customers, customers are like apps, businesses, so that um, they can actually comply with the laws, but like do it in a way that doesn't cause or that causes the least amount of friction yeah. for their products, right? Um, because a lot of current compliance solutions, they're clearly not made for on-chain activity. And so they kind of create a very just not, you know, like a very kind of just not great user experience. Um, and um, yeah, and so our first product is uh, it's called Certified to ZK Compliance Verification Product. Uh, what does that mean? Um, so basically, so ZK means zero knowledge. So basically, um, we issue what are called verified credentials. Um, the, the, and this relates to kind of like identity solutions. If you ever heard of like DIDs or decentralized IDs, mm-hmm. DIDs, um, this is like we actually use a DIB solution for this um, or, or like a DIB protocol, basically. Um, I would say it's a solution, but anyways. Um, and so the way it works is um, users basically will get issued these what are called verified credentials. You can think of verified credentials. I'm just going credentials from now on. Um, I, they're almost similar to NFTs, except the difference between an NFT and a credential um, is that no one can see the verified credential, mm. right? Yep. Which is key because you know if you're dealing with like things like KYC or there's or under the securities laws, there are like things like accredited accredited investor verifications um, or accredited investor status, qualified purchaser status that like. Basically, to get one of those statuses, you need to have like a lot of money or generate a certain amount of income. There's certain thresholds you need to meet, um, or it's just like uh, sensitive financial inter- or sensitive personal information for KYC. Um, you don't want this in an NFT, right? Because like the world can see it; yeah. it's public. And so, with a verified credential, no one can see it until the user themselves self discloses uh, discloses it mm. via zk a zk proof or a zero knowledge proof yeah zero knowledge it's the underlying tech is very um complicated yeah uh, but the concept is pretty simple what zero knowledge tech allows is um it allows someone to proof to prove some kind of result or assertion um without showing um the work done for that or like the underlying computation or underlying information. Yeah. Um, Which is like keep our privacy as you were mentioning. Yeah. So ZK tech is privacy tech. You can think of privacy tech, but it's also used for scalability. Yeah. Um, So a lot of, if you heard a lot of like rollups or like layer two blockchains um, or basically methods to scale blockchains are, are leveraging ZK tech because um, you know, if you can only, again, because like a big problem with like blockchains is, um, they don't have a lot of like computing power, right? Because you need to, to be decentralized, you need to make it so anyone can kind of run a node or a validator, right? It needs to be easy. So you can't have a super heavy performance requirements on them. And so by, um, so you, but it still makes it very hard to have a lot of transactions, right? Like a billion transactions, it's just like you don't have to compute for that. And so with ZK proofs, you can have like the computations happen off chain and then you can provide this proof on chain that maybe only has, I'm just throwing this number out, like, what like 0.1 percent of like the data or like 
compute required to um to kind of like do all the underlying stuff right and so because you're only getting the proof and you can validate that proof mm-hmm. um you can under, uh, validate all the things that's going on with just that proof um you can save a lot of um just a lot of like data and things like that um a lot less compute um with just having that zk proof so it's used for scalability as well and also privacy yeah and so we're using it for privacy and so it basically our pro- the product um we haven't launched, we haven't gone live with it yet, but basically it will, it will provide end users with a portable um, and private credential that would allow them to, um, that they can take with them anywhere. So you can only like, you only have to take like, on like KYC once uh, or do like a credit investor check once and then um, no one can see it and you can take it to like other apps and anyone who accepts that credential, you can just provide them with ZK proof and you can go right in without having to kind of like, do the whole KYC yeah. process again or do like a credit investor checks again. Um, it's not like, you know, an ideal world, I think we just like wouldn't have, you know, you wouldn't have to do like all these verifications and compliance stuff. So, but the idea is to be kind of like this happy medium where it's like, okay, this is something uh, as a company, as, um, as an app, you can use to comply with, verific- uh, with, with regulations, but um, it still provides your end users with this very like private self-sovereign um, credential. Yeah. So you're doing it in a more kind of web three native way. Plus those credentials can be used on chain and off chain. So it can be used like, for a protocol, it can be used for a smart contract, so it's also more composable mm. as opposed to, let's say, some sort of like current kind of compliance um, off-chain solutions. Yeah, I mean, think I, I this is you broke it down really simply because I've been trying to dive into zero knowledge, and I'm like, okay. Um, but you, thank you again for being here. We extended a little bit of our time. Before you go, though, I wanted to wrap up with. Um, sharing this tweet that you put out that kind of caught my eye um, because one of the other controversial topics definitely is AI. And you said, it's not AI replacing lawyers that lawyers should be worried about, but rather lawyers using AI replacing other lawyers. Um, Yeah. Please share a little bit more about this and your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. So I think a lot of... um... And so I'm, I'm pretty pro AI, um, but you know, I think a lot of anti AI people tend to, um, well, first off, they look at the tech now and they're like, well, you know, it's like messing up and it's like, okay, man, yeah. like look up, like look at the like, exponential curve that's happening. But the other thing is, you know, they see no world, right. Where like certain, certain tasks that they're, they do or certain jobs can be completely replaced by AI, which I do think that's a lot more uncertain, you know, like what we have, what's called like, um, you know, general AI, who knows, right? Like, or general artificial intelligence, um, or, but like, who knows, right? Like, um, but I can tell you right now, um, I've been using it. I've been using chat GPT, um, and specifically like chat GPT plus, so it gives you access to GPT four, which is kind of like the most advanced model, um, that I think you only have have access to if you pay for it. It's like 20 bucks a month. So I think it's worth it, worth it. Um, it has whenever I, so I've done legal work with it and it has a hundred percent sped set up like my legal, like legal work by a lot. Right. And it's not, and that's not just, not, that's not just a legal work. Um, I've spoken to many developers where it's sped up a lot of their coding. Right. And what this means is that you just need less uh, of these people, right? Like accounting, you can imagine um, some type of certain types of project management, writing, copier editors. Um, I think like some designers, um, you know, you, you name it. Um, a lot of these things are, you know, I, I, the people who are kind of like, no, it won't, I, like we won't be replaced. It's, it's not like the AI replacing you that you need to be worried about. It's like, like me 
using AI and you not using AI that you need to be worried about because I'm like now I can now do things like 10x faster. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I think that many of us that are in this space can kind of see that these type of technologies are really important. And if you don't use them, you kind of will be left out. But maybe when you are out in other fields and I'm guessing law, um, any other field too, you, you, that is really kind of outdated, that doesn't like innovation too much, perhaps will pause and not really sure if this is something that they want to be involved. And like you said, I, I think I hear a lot of friends that are also hesitant, not really sure. I've hear, heard them say, oh, but it's like spitting out bad knowledge. It's not really, but it's like, it's in the baby infancy stages and we just need to play with it. Yeah. And and right now it's in its baby infancy stages and it's making me a lot faster. Right? <laughs> imagine. Yeah. Right? right. So now imagine like two years from now, three years from now. Right. Yeah. Um, and even, like, even if it doesn't improve that much from right now, honestly, like but. I, I think yeah, right now, I think honestly, like, like if I were a law firm right now, right. I could, if I had like 10 lawyers and I had everyone using like chat GPT efficiently, honestly, I could probably cut like two of those lawyers at least maybe three. Yeah. And honestly, probably a little more. Like, like that's and that's right now. That's with the errors. Um, like, and also, no one should use ChatGPT for for legal advice. Yeah. Um, I think you need to kind of be a lawyer because like it does make mistakes, and in law, you make one false move, one wrong move, and you're in a really bad position. Yeah. But because I do know stuff, like I can, ver- it's easy for me to ver- verify stuff, and so I know how to use it in a way that I don't have to really worry about things being wrong, but it can just speed up my work. Yeah, you just leverage it for sure. Well, um, thank you so much, Orlando, for coming and sharing your thoughts and everything. Um, all of the information you provided about Let's Proof will be in the links, but are there any last things that you want to say? Um, go outside and touch grass, right? <laughs> Springtime, um, you know, I think a lot of times people spend way too much time. I think especially in tech, people spend way too much time indoors. Kind of like bringing it back to the first thing we talked about. Yeah. Um, take care of your health. Uh, see your friends. See your family. Touch grass. We're social people. We're social beings. Um, you know, and take advantage of, uh, of the spring and summer. Yeah. Well, thank you. I hope everyone listening in or watching uh, found this as interesting as I did. I'm totally geeking out. Probably going to re-listen. Um, but share it with people that you love hit subscribe it really helps just grow the pod even more and have awesome guests like you i hope everyone has a good day